great. And uh, we uh, began last week talking about pursuing biblical health and what that looks like. And, and I've introduced to you a couple of books uh, by Mark Dever. The, the first one was The Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. And then the follow-up to that, which, is, which contains these nine marks, is a book called What is a Healthy Church? And, and um, uh, similar information in both books. Uh, but I uh, wanted to begin talking and sharing just uh, some of, of what been, had been sharing with the deacons and sharing with, with others in the church and what you've heard me talk about since I came here, and that is, you know, the pursuit of being a biblically healthy church. And so we kind of did the intro last week and, and looked at what those nine marks are just, just very generally. And, and tonight we're going to start talking about um, the first mark of a, of a healthy church, which is expositional preaching. And, uh, and if you saw in your bulletin, uh, the title of tonight's message simply was, What is Expositional Preaching? Now, you got, you've heard me ever since I've been here as we've been working through books of the Bible. Um, usually when I introduce the message in the morning, I say we're going to continue our verse-by-verse exposition of whatever book we happen to be in. And uh, you may not have ever thought, well, what does that mean? Um, then again, you may have. Well, tonight, we're going to talk about what that means. Um, and, and I'm very intentional about doing that. For those that understand what exposition is and what expositional preaching is, it helps them to know that, that as, a, as a preacher and a pastor that I am committed to that form of preaching God's Word. And uh, for those that don't know what it is, it's uh, purposefully introducing the concept of exposition and, and helping us to become familiar with the terminology and, and understanding what that is. And, and I was just thinking as we were singing that song, How Great Thou Art, and, uh, and really the, the glory of God is revealed to us in creation first and foremost. I mean, his, the, the heavens declare the glory of God, and, and the earth declares His handiwork, and, and, or the skies declare His handiwork, and we're just we're so, so in awe sometimes of what God has done, but there's nothing more glorious in God's revelation of Himself than what He's revealed to us in His Word. Because it is His Word that tells us who God really is. Creation lets us know that He's there. But it's His Word that lets us know both His person and His purpose. And, um, and really, expositional preaching is a commitment to God's Word. It's, it's, to, it's submitting to the authority of Scripture. It is looking um, to Scripture first and letting it be our guide. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 um, Scripture tells us, it says, God's divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. And as we look at that passage, we ought, one of the things we ought to ask ourselves is, who, who is the Him that it's referring to? What are, what are the pronouns they refer to? You know, it's, he, he, he has called us according to His excellent greatness and power and and Understanding he's given us everything through the true knowledge of him who called us. So we have to know who is him. Well, in short, it's God. Um, the, the immediate verse preceding it in, uh, in, verse, in verse number two tells us that, <clears throat> excuse me, that uh, it says grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And so, you could take the, the, the him and the he's in the, in the following verse to refer to either God or Jesus, but it doesn't really matter. They're both God. And, uh, and so, as we think about that reality, what's this, what this is telling us 
is that God gives us everything through what He has revealed about Himself in Scripture. Because how do we get to the true knowledge of Him? Through the Scripture. That's where we arrive at the true knowledge of Him. So if He's given us everything through the true knowledge of Him, then He's given us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness through His Word. And so His Word is what we look to so that we can understand and know Him. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 tells us all scriptures inspired of God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Again, this is just a rephrasing of the importance of God's word to our lives as believers. It is, it is the central, it is the foundational tenet of our faith that we need to know and understand God's word. Scripture is our source of truth. Jesus prayed in John 17, 17, Father, sanctify them with your truth. Your word is truth. And so we need to, we need to be enamored with God's word. We need to be in awe of God's word. And it needs to control the way we do things. We need to be submitted to it. We are utterly dependent on the Scripture to know and understand who God is and what and how He would have us live. So, when we look to Scripture, when we look to the Bible, our primary concern is not what do we want it to tell us, but what does it actually tell us. Not what do we think that it says, but what does it actually say. And, and this has to drive what we, um, how we approach Scripture and how we even expect and want the Word to be preached. Now, there are some masterful communicators out there who have a knack for conforming the Scripture to their own predetermined message and mindset. There are some people that are really good at coming up with a theme or a message and then just kind of drawing passages of Scripture from here and there and kind of just making them conform to what they want to say. And, and it happens... And it happens more often than you might realize. I mean, I, but, you know, you don't have to spend a lot of time looking at, at Christian blogs and, and articles and, and stuff. And, you, and you, see, you see it happening in those places. You see preachers doing it. You see it in books. And, uh, and sometimes it just makes you want to pull your hair out. So you, now you know what happened. Um, we, you just, you want to... <laughs> I, I was just going to slide by that, but... Uh, um, <laughs> but it's just, it's, just it's, it's frustrating to me when I read those things and, and, and people just abuse, abuse the scripture for their own purposes. And sometimes it's not malicious and it's, and it's not, and it's not that they're intentionally trying to do it. And sometimes their overall theme and their overall point is right and accurate and consistent with the overall teaching of scripture. But if your point is in conjunction with the overall teaching of Scripture, stick to texts that make that point. And don't try and draw from others that contextually don't make that point, even if they seem to fit well. Because we don't want to abuse what God has given us. Because the, the reality is, is, you know, we can approach Scripture in such a way, we can make it say whatever we want it to say. We can, draw, we can draw a text of Scripture out of context, and we can manipulate it, and we can make it say whatever it wants to say. You know, the Bible's very matter-of-fact when it tells us what happened to Judas after he betrayed Christ. 
In Matthew 27, 5, it says, it says, he threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and departed, and he went away and hanged himself. And Jesus commanded his disciples in Luke 10, 37, and he told them, go and do likewise. And, and so that we don't grow faint in following his command, we must adhere to the instruction of Jesus that, that he gave to Judas himself, knowing what he was, go- was going to happen. And right before he betrayed Jesus, in John 13, 27, Jesus says, therefore, Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. So now I just told you that you, you should go and follow Judas and commit suicide because... The Bible says so. Now, that's, an, that's a very extreme case, right? I mean, people, you hope people really don't do that, but it just makes the point that you can do that. And now we recognize the story of Judas and what was going on, and we know that God doesn't want us to commit suicide and, and, and all of that kind of stuff, but we have to be very careful when we approach Scripture. And when, people, when, when we hear verses of Scripture and we hear arguments being made and, and passages being preached, we need to be discerning in looking at God's Word for ourselves and looking at those passages in their context so that we can know and understand what they are. And this is what expositional preaching helps us to do. As, as, a, as a pastor and a preacher, expositional preaching ties me to the text so that I can say only what God has said in His word. Now, I'm not saying that we don't seek support from passages that teach what it is we're trying to teach, because Scripture does that, because the the true doctrines of the faith are taught throughout Scripture. And so there are supporting Scriptures that teach certain doctrinal truths that we need to recognize, and, and we need to be able to do that, but we don't need to distort or pull out of context those things which don't make those points intentionally where they are written. Peter actually warns us in 2 Peter 3.16, he speaks of, speaking of Paul's letters, he says, in which there are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort as they do also the rest of scriptures to their own destruction. So this is why expositional preaching is so important, that we don't twist scripture, that we don't make it mean something that it did, wasn't intended to mean. In the, in the Nine Marks book, Mark Dever writes, he says, someone may happily profess that God's word is authoritative and that the Bible is inerrant, yet if that person in practice, intentionally or not, does not preach expositionally, he denies his own claim. You see, if we believe that God's word is authoritative, and if we believe that, that God's word, that the Bible is inerrant, then we can trust it to guide the message that is preached. And so we uphold the authority of Scripture and the inerrancy of Scripture by allowing the text to guide rather than our own suppositions. And and the statement that Dever makes becomes clearer as we define expositional preaching as opposed to suppositional preaching, which is based solely on the thoughts and intents of the preacher rather than the Scriptures. So let me give you just a, a quick definition of expositional preaching. Dever defines expositional preaching as the kind of preaching that quite simply exposes God's Word. It takes a particular passage of Scripture, explains that passage, and then applies the meaning of the passage to the lives of the congregation. Now, expositional preaching is not exclusively verse by verse and book by book through the Bible. 
that is, that is a way to do expositional preaching, but, but a single sermon is defined as whether, is, a single sermon can be defined by expositional by the way that it's preached. Does it maintain the context? Does it preach the point of the passage? Is it what is the primary point of the message, the primary point of the passage? And that's the kind of things that we're looking for when we're talking about expositional preaching. The reason for, in, in a congregational setting, for verse-by-verse, book-by-book expositional preaching is that it allows us to, to hear from all of God's Word and the whole of the intent of books that are written. When, when God inspired the books to be written, He gave the authors a, a thought that drove them to write that book. And so, if we want to understand the whole message that's being revealed in a particular book, then we need to study the whole book. And so, that's, that's why we approach it that way, although it's not exclusively verse by verse and book by book, but it is driven by the immediate context of the Scriptures in, in their historical and grammatical contexts. Now, there are, there are other ways of preaching that are beneficial from time to time. There are topics that need to be covered in which we need to look. We'll, we'll pick a topic like prayer, and sometimes we need, we need to talk about prayer. And we need to look at what the whole of Scripture says about prayer. And so we might draw, you know, on, on five, six, or a dozen different passages that talk about prayer. And that's good and necessary in the life of the church. Um, biography sometimes, biographical preaching can be beneficial to the church as we identify somebody in Scripture and we look to their example, we look to their faithfulness, we look to how God worked in their life, and that can be beneficial too. But the meat of God's Word is going to come to us through expositional preaching. The meat of God's word, that which is going to help us to grow in wisdom and understanding of his word, is going, to, is going to feed the flock of God. It's going to ensure that truths are not skipped and that the preacher is guided by the context of each passage rather than his own desires. In this description of expositional preaching, he tells, uh, Deborah says that it's not so much a matter of style as some have observed, it is not how a preacher says what he says, but how he decides what to say. Now, I would say that it's probably more a little bit of both. I think it is how we say it and why we say it. Um, it's not exclusively how, because there are different styles that can, different expositors may have slightly different styles in the way they present those truths. But the content of what we said is driven by the Word of God. So the question becomes, is Scripture determining our content or is something else? Expositional preaching is marked by biblical content. I remember uh, a couple summers ago, um, Elizabeth had gone down to Florida and staying with some family and had gone to church down there. And she came back and she told me, she said, they never talked about the Bible. I mean, she went and sat through a whole church service, and they never talked about the Scripture. That ought to break our heart. We ought not to be able to go into a church and not hear the Word of God proclaimed. That, that is not a church. If you have a group of people getting together just for, for a, a feel-good speech about, about life in general, that, that is not what a church is. A church, a church gathers and is, and is grown by the Word of God. And it just, and it just breaks my heart to, to hear 
of those kind of things going on. Or I've heard from, I've heard from other people. They'll go into a, go into a church and, and uh, the pastor will, will, will start on a, on a topic about something and he'll bring in a passage of Scripture and he'll read the passage of Scripture and then he'll never talk about it again in the rest of the sermon. And you're just like, what, what, what are you accomplishing in that? The real scary thing to me is that God has told us that not many of you should become teachers, understanding that you will endure a stricter judgment. We ought to, I, I, I not only fear for the congregations that are under that kind of preaching, but I fear for those men that are preaching in a way that is not submitted and surrendered to the Word of God. I want to ask you to open your Bibles tonight to uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, because here in Nehemiah chapter 8, we're going we're gonna to get a little example from Scripture of what expositional preaching looks like, understanding that expositional preaching binds the preacher to the Word of God. It's not just a logical conclusion, given that it is the means by which we are compelled to be the most faithful to God's Word. It is an example of preaching and teaching in the Bible itself. Nehemiah chapter 8. <clears throat> Beginning in verse 1. It says, And all the people gathered as one man at the square which was in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it before the square, which is in front of the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of men and women, those who could understand. And all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium, which they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood a whole bunch of people whose names I'm not going to say, on his right and on his left. Verse 5, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Verse 7, the Levites all named there, explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. They read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. That's expositional preaching. Translating the word of God and giving the sense of the meaning. That you see the respect and the honor that the people had for the Word of God. This, this is the reason why I ask people to stand when we read Scripture. For reverence of the Word of God. The, the people in Ezra's day, they, they, just, they just did it. It's like they opened the Word of God before them. Of course, not everybody had their own copy of God's Word. And sometimes I think that's not always a good thing that we all have copies of it because we kind of don't think it is to be as valuable as what it is. But these people, they, they revered and they respected the word of God and, and Ezra and the, and the Levites and they came and they read God's word and they explained its meaning to the people. That's, that's what preachers are supposed to do. That's what they're called to do. They're called to take God's word 
explain what it meant originally, and then apply it to the life of the congregation. That is, in essence, what we are supposed to do. In the New Testament, we have a very short example, and this just comes in the way of instruction from Paul to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.13. And Paul tells Timothy, he says, Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Now, the implication there is that the exhortation, exhortation and teaching come from the public reading. That is, read the Scripture, exhort the people from what it says, and teach them from what you've read. That's, that's the implication there in 1 Timothy 4.13. So this isn't something that's just, that we're, that, you know, that just some theologians got together and they said, you know what, I think it, it would be best if we developed this thing called expositional preaching and we marketed it and we tried to do it. No, this is, this is something that comes from Scripture that, that tells us how we are to approach the Word of God in surrendering to its significance, to its authority, and to its power so that God's people will be edified, will be strengthened, will be encouraged by it. And so we do exposition both of the New Testament and the Old Testament. I've heard of, of churches that say, well, we're a New Testament people, so we're not going to talk about the Old Testament. So they only preach from the New Testament. And that grieves my heart too, because you think about the first century church, what did they have? What was their scripture? It was the Old Testament, right? I mean, it was, it was over 60 years after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ before the last words of the New Testament were actually written down. And it was a lot longer than that before churches actually had copies of all of the different letters and could actually reference them. And so while there's no doubt that the New Testament writings are scripture and are inspired, I mean, even in that passage I read to you from 2 Peter, Peter calls Paul's, he equates Paul's writings with Scripture. He says they, they twist Paul's letters just like they do the rest of Scripture. So that they understood that these were inspired, but they still taught from the Old Testament. They still expounded, they still exposed God's Word, understanding that Christ was the fulfillment of the promises in the Old Testament. You know, a lot of times we think of the New Testament and the Old Testament, we think they're just, they're just books. But, but, they're, but they're not. They, they represent covenants of God with His people. The New Testament is a covenant that God made with us. We are, we are a people who are under the new covenant with Christ. But it is a covenant that was promised in the Old Testament. Under the Old Covenant, God under the Old Covenant says, listen, I'm going to give you a new covenant. He says, be looking for it. And so Christ comes along and he says, I am the new covenant. This is the new covenant in my blood. And so we're a new, we're a new covenant people. Not... not you know, some, like I said, we think of testament sometimes as just being a reference to a testimony, but it's not. It's, it's a covenant with God. And we understand that from sound expositional preaching. I want to talk to you just for a moment about the, the purpose, a little further about the purpose of expositional preaching. It may be a little redundant at this point. We've been talking about the purpose all along, but the, the purpose is to teach the whole counsel of God's will as it, as, it, excuse me, as it is revealed in his word, the whole counsel of God's will as it is revealed in his word. God's people, and this, this comes out of Dever's book also, God's people are always created through God's word. 
You get that? God's people are always created through God's word. It's God's word that convicts. It's God's word that draws. It's God's, it's God's word that gives us knowledge and understanding. Romans 10, 17 tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That truth is the foundational support for Dever's statement concerning expositional preaching where he says, sound expositional preaching is often the fountainhead of growth in a church. In Martin Luther's experience, such careful attention to God's word was the beginning of reformation. We too must be committed to being churches that are always being reformed according to the word of God. It is the purpose of expositional preaching to share the word of God as it was given and meant to be understood. And this is, it is the primary foundation of solid biblical interpretation. Biblical interpretation, it's, it's a practice we call hermeneutics when you go to seminary. And, and it's just it's the art and science of biblical interpretation, to, to quote flame, right? My, my youth know what I'm talking about there. Um, but that, the way we approach Scripture is so essential to our growth as Christians. And so by understanding that purpose, we unlock the power of expositional preaching. 1 Corinthians 1.18 reminds us that the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So the power of God is revealed through His word. The message of the cross, right? How do we know the message of the cross? Through the revelation of God's word. The fullness of the gospel can only be fully appreciated by plumbing the depths of God's word through biblical exposition because it is the primary means by which we expand our understanding of the gospel. Listen, listen to this quote out of the Nine Marks book. He says, a preacher can take a piece of scripture and exhort the congregation on a topic that is important without really preaching the point of the passage. When that happens, the preacher and the congregation only hear in Scripture what they already knew. By contrast, when we preach a passage of Scripture in context, expositionally, taking the point of the passage as the point of the message, we hear from God things we did not intend to hear when we began. And I'm just going to tell you, every week as I'm studying and preparing to preach expositionally, I'm learning. God is teaching me from His Word. And my job given to me by God is to take what God is teaching me and to teach you. And not only to teach you what He's teaching me, but this is one of the wonderful things about expositional preaching it not only is a way to deliver the Word of God, it's a way to teach God's people how to approach Scripture themselves. And that's the thing I love about exposition because it, it not only is the best way to approach Scripture from, from a preaching standpoint as it's guided by the Word of God, but it's the best way to help the congregation understand how they need to approach Scripture as well. Looking at the Word, understanding its context, looking at the meanings of words and how they fit together, and then understanding what is the point that was being made when it was written, what did the original audience understand it to mean, and then how does that apply to us today? That is how expositional preaching, the power of expositional preaching is 
revealed through the whole counsel of God's Word as the primary source for preaching, teaching, and doctrine in the church. One final area to consider this evening is the practice of expositional preaching. The practice of exposition enables confidence in the message of the preacher, and it is of special benefit to the body when there's a commitment to it by the congregation. As I said before, it's in James 3, it says that not many of us should become teachers knowing that we will receive a stricter judgment. I don't know how guys get up week after week that are not expositors and can feel confident that they're saying what God would have them say when their message is not guided completely and fully by the Word of God. You know, I used to be, I used to be afraid of public speaking. Anybody fear public speaking? Fear public speaking? Yeah. I used to be afraid to speak in public. I mean, I, that, was not, that was not my... When I was in college and I had to take a speech class, I was like trying to change majors to figure out which one wouldn't require me to take a speech class because I just did not want to do it. There wasn't one. It was, there was no way around it. Um, but I, I, really, I really tried. <laughs> And, uh, and God grew me, and uh, he used that class to impact me. He used my time working in the park service to, to grow me and, and put me in positions of, of you know, teaching in classes and doing programs and things like that to kind of help me overcome that fear of public speaking. And as I, get in, as I prepare to speak before the church and as, and as I, I get ready to preach, it's, it's not, I, I still have fear and I still have anxiety, but it's not because I'm speaking in public because I'm handling the Word of God. It's because I, I want to do justice to what God's Word has said. I want to be pleasing in His sight. I don't, I don't want to step beyond, beyond the bounds of Scripture. I don't, I don't want to say something that, that's wrong, that, that misrepresents God and His Word and His purposes. That's what gets me now. I still have some anxiety. I still have some fear before I get in front of people to preach the Word. But it's not because... It's not because I'm up here and you're down there and I'm afraid of what I'm going to look like. I've, I got over what I looked like a long time ago. But it's about being submitted to God's truth and representing Him accurately to His people. Expositional preaching gives me confidence to stand up and say, this is what God's Word says. This is what it means. This is how we can apply it. But for expositional preaching to really take hold in a church, it has to be more than just the commitment of the pastor and the preacher. It has to be a commitment of the people. They have to want it. They have to desire it. They have to long for it. They have to, they have to understand that, that why I'm doing what I'm doing. And, it's something, and this is the thing. I think it's something to get excited about. I think it's something that you can build excitement around a congregation about. We're going to hear the Word of God. We're going to be taught the Word of God. We're going, we're going to experience the, the knowledge and the challenges and, and sometimes the beating of the Word of God. Because sometimes the Word of God kind of beats us up a little bit. But when it does, it's not that I'm trying to be hard. It's not that I'm, that I'm doing it. I'm just trying to give you what God's Word says. 
I'm just trying to tell you what, what, what that says. And so when, when, we, when we're challenged, we know it's God's word. When we're offended, we know it's God's word. That's, but that's what we need because that's the way that we mature in our spiritual walk as we feed on the word of God from week to week. And it's one of those things that I think that, that if, if we're united in understanding why we do it and if we get excited about it, you know, I don't think there's anything more attractive spiritually to people than a people who are excited about their church. And I don't think there's anything more worth getting excited about than God's Word. That should be the thing we're more excited about in a church than anything else. If we're not excited about the Word of God in the church, then our priorities are messed up. Because God has exalted His Word even above His name. That's what the psalmist says. God has exalted His Word. Depending on your translation, it says even as His name or even above His name. But that, either way, that's pretty high. We ought to be excited about what God's Word has to say to us. And we ought to be looking forward to how it will impact us and change us. And there ought to be an expectation of expositional preaching from the congregation. It is, it is up to you all to hold me accountable to the standard of expositional preaching. So that if I say something that's, that's out of line, if I say something you say, you know what, that's not what God's Word says. And we can, we can talk about that and we can look at it and examine it knowing that we're both trying to come at it from the side of understanding and interpreting and applying the Word of God. So it is the primary thing. One of the short stories that Dever shares in, in his book is, is um, about when he was preaching a seminar on the Puritans. And he, in, during the seminar, he mentioned that Puritan sermons were sometimes two hours long, at which point someone audibly gasped and said, well, what time does that leave for worship? And he goes on to say in the book, he says, clearly the individual assumed that listening to God's word preached did not constitute worship. I replied that many English Protestants in former centuries believed that the most essential part of worship was hearing God's word in their own language a freedom purchased by the blood of more than one martyr, and responding to it in their lives. Whether they had time to sing, though not entirely insignificant, was comparatively of comparatively little concern to them. In our day and time, we've equated music with worship. But music is only a portion of worship. Music is not exclusively worship. Everything we do when we come together as God's people ought to be worship. When we pray, it's worship. When we give, it's worship. When we sing, it's worship. When we hear God's word, it's worship. When we respond to God's word, it's worship. That's what God's Word tells us. That is why expositional preaching is so 
important to the life of the church and why it's something that we need to pursue and to be excited about. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. Lord, I just just thank you for your word. Lord, so much truth being revealed to us. And while I believe in what we're doing and, and, and talking about the need to pursue a biblical truth, my only hesitancy in, in even preaching on, these, on this topic, Lord, is that it takes us away from just plumbing the depths of your word. So, Lord, I pray that even as we look at these things that we would experience your grace and love through the scriptures that we do look at, that we would be encouraged by the truths that we find, and that we, Father, as your people, would be committed to pursuing biblical health in surrender to the example of your most holy and perfect word. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.